All right, we got Carl McNeil. Welcome to the Mr. Short Game. We're, we're, we're deciding if it's the uh, Whiskey Barrel or Bourbon Barrel Golf Podcast. What do you think? <laughs> whiskey Barrel looks pretty good. <laughs> Original. Yeah, that's right. So, Carl, you're a PGA teaching professional. Well, I'm a PGA professional, and yeah, so I specialize in teaching. I'm director of instruction at White Columns. White Columns Country Club, Club Corp course? It is. Yeah, it's one of their uh, premier courses. Um, they, uh, Club Corp is the largest owner of private clubs in America, um, but uh, they're big in Texas, Georgia, but uh, White Columns, Atlanta National, uh, The Manor, they're some of their premier clubs right around here. And how long have you been, let's say, with the Club Corp family of golf courses? It will be uh, three years in uh, February. Three years. And has it always been at White Columns or have mm -hmm. you, you yeah, all? Yeah, okay. yeah this, is the only club, this is the only club core company I've ever worked for, or okay. club, I should say. So PGA, what, how do you become a PGA professional? Well, you have to apply to the PGA of America, and they have um, a training program you have to go through. Now, there's a lot of colleges, uh, Furman, um, Mississippi State, a number of them have what's called a PGA program where you actually go and get a PGA degree and then you come out, then you have to do a little bit of an apprenticeship. You don't have to. Any, any guy or girl could just apply to the PGA of America. You're at a club. You just have to be, do your apprenticeship under a PGA professional. And then you have to go down to Port St. Lucie. You have so much book work you got to turn in. You got to go test it on it. And there's three stages. And your first thing you got to do is pass your player's ability test. So what is that? You got to shoot roughly a 78? Yeah, 77, 70. It depends on the course you're playing. But yeah, yeah it normally averages out 77, 78. Okay, so when did you become a PGA teaching, uh, PGA professional? Well, I got my membership in the early 2000s. Uh, but I turned professional out of school and played for three or four years uh, on the mini tours, you know, some Hooters tour stuff. Um, then uh, I actually broke my wrist a few weeks out of Q school. in what not, wrist? In my left wrist. I hit okay. a root at Greenleaf oh, uh, Resort. I was playing a mini tour event and broke broke my a little bone in there. If I was three playing, weeks out from Q school. Oh, no. So, okay, if you're playing, if you're an amateur, if you're on a root, dude, just throw that thing off that thing. Don't yeah. hit a, near a root at all. Yeah, yeah. Did you see it or... No, no, it was under the ground. So you yeah. couldn't tell. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bad drive. So I'm obviously playing out of the tree. So all I could do is punch out. But yeah, it was right. And, you know, it felt like, you know, I didn't hear it or anything. Man, that thing hurts, you know. And so then oh. I got a couple hours later, it's really throbbing. So I tape it up, you know, get the tape out of my bag. And, but, you know, I went home that night. And I told my wife, man, I think it hurt my wrist. And I had to withdraw. She goes, you need to go to the doctor. Well, sure enough, next day he tells me it's broke. What bone did it? Do you, do you remember? I don't. No, it was right there, right on the top of my wrist. I broke a, what you call, I, there, it's called the navicular. There's another word for it too. Tiny little guy right in here. doesn't hardly get much uh, blood flow. It's in a cast, surgery later, uh, never healed properly. It's still broken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it still hurts. Yeah. Now mine healed pretty quick, but uh, I mean, that, was the, that was the year I was absolutely playing my best. And I had first stage of Q school coming up in three weeks and the only reason i played that mini tour event because that's where the first stage was going to be i was using it as a kind oh, of a tune-up yeah yeah so, a little tester you know what okay so tell me how you started in golf okay so uh i grew up 
when I was little on a farm, my mom and dad got divorced. A few years later, she remarries uh, my stepdad, and he was a golfer. So we moved literally a block from a golf course. And so I was 13 years old heading into my uh, ninth grade year of school. And I'd, I'd played everything, basketball, baseball, football. But now I ride around the street from a golf course, and I never played before. So uh, nothing to do in the summer. So I went and played, <laughs> you know, three days in a row. And there's something about this game. If you play once, no big deal. You play twice, well, now it catches your interest. But that third or fourth time coming out, all of a sudden then you get hooked, you know. And, yeah. and so then I dropped all other sports. And uh, we had uh, two golf carts. Uh, and so, uh, literally, you know, I would play in the summer 54, 72 holes a day. Wow. Just leave at 8 o'clock in the morning and not come back till, till dark. Did you take lessons? No. When you grow up in a place... No, you said that like I committed a <laughs> sin even <laughs> asking that question. Well, okay, so here's the deal. I grew up in a place, it's Calvert City, Kentucky, okay. uh, far western end. But right next door to it, is, is, a, is a little city a little called Possum Trot. And so that's why I tell people I'm from Possum Trot. Just as to the color a little bit. But I actually, it. I was, I was uh, grew up in Calvert City. But uh, there, obviously, if you grow up in a place like that, there's not a lot of golf knowledge. Now, 20 miles away is Paducah, which where Russ Cochran comes from and okay. Kenny Perry. Okay, so it's a little bit of a golf history there. But now, the only redeeming quality Possum Trot has is, is it sets right on Kentucky Lake. And through the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, after TVA had dammed up a couple of the rivers, it made the Kentucky Chain of Lakes, which was the largest man-made chain of lakes in America for a lot of years. Interesting. Okay. Well, obviously then it becomes a summer recreation spot, hunting, fishing, boating, camping, all that stuff. And the state of Kentucky come in and built another golf course there. So I had the course I played on, and then two miles up the road, um, was the Kentucky Dam course, and they brought in a PJ professional. So, like I said, I, I started playing when I was 13, about to turn 14. Because I played so much, by 16, I was scratch. And so then, you know, my dad says, hey, my stepdad, this kid may help pay for some, some school. We better take him and get him a lesson. So they sent me over to the local guy there at the Kentucky Dam. Okay. You know, uh, and so, um, so growing, you know, I had my, my stepdad was pretty smart because the first thing he did – Two days in, he gave me Hogan's Five Fundamentals. So I literally read it cover to cover, you know, and so that's what I based everything off of. Like I said, then by 16, I was scratched. And then you get tips along the way from the, the factory workers and the construction workers that played at this muni that I played at, you know. <laughs> he sends me over to this, to this PJ professional, and I used to really move off the ball a lot, have a big sway back. Big sway through, and all I could hit was that big rip and cut. But that's what everybody was doing right then. No, okay. I, I'm not kidding. With We're you. talking persimmon, yeah. a lot of balls yeah. that yeah. day. Okay. And so I'm not kidding you when I say this. The guy watched me after warmed up. He watched me hit three balls. He said, "Son, I love everything you're doing. Don't change a thing." And by the way, that'll be thirty-five dollars. <laughs> so, I, so I you left PGA there teaching yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I left there thinking, "Hey, man, I've got this. I'm on the right track," you know. Um, and school really wasn't for me, so I turned pro pretty quickly after I left, you know. And uh, so then you do what, what everybody does. Uh, you move to Florida. Okay, so wait. So you go to college, okay, but then it's, yeah, pretty quickly it's not your thing. Yep. Okay, yep. gotcha. Yep. How and long were you in college? A year and a half. A year and a half, okay. You know. You're like, I'm out. Yeah, it just wasn't for me. Gotcha. You know. Uh, it's great. Uh, 
so I, you know, I think you're ready. You know, I think I'm a good player. Uh, head to Florida, find out pretty quickly. I'm not a very good player. <laughs> so you're you were obviously you know under par, scratch golfer. And what made you say I'm not that good? Who was it? Was it somebody you played with, or was it just the mini tours? Well, okay, so. Um, I get down there and my, my very first event was at Windermere Country Club. It was a, um, uh, I forget the name of the tour now, Tommy Armour tour, I think. Space Coast, might be a Space Coast tour event, but I, I was seven under for, for 54 holes. Okay. Didn't make a check. Nothing. Nothing. Three guys played off at 18, two more were at 17, and there was <laughs> then a handful. And you know, these mini tours, they don't play too deep of, a, of, of, of the field. Yeah. So They're paying maybe 20. Yeah. You know, so, um, but it's more about the way they hit the golf ball. I had one shot, big old loop and draw. That's okay. all I, that's all I could, all I could hit, you know? And, uh, so man, these guys were carving balls both ways. And it's, it's much easier to curve balls back then. It is now with sure. a whole lot of ball and stuff like that. But, but they were making balls working on both ways and, and just how they attacked the golf course. Man, I don't know anything. You know, wow. And, but it was it was a slap in the face. It was it it was a good wake up call. Hey, I got to get better. Were there any guys that you remember that that made it on the tour that you were playing with there? There or did none of them make it? Uh, no. But the best player around there at that time caddied for Zach Johnson for a lot of years. Damon, um, I forget his last name now. But but Jack, Zach Johnson used to make a lot of money off this guy. He'd bet the other guys in his group. My caddy. Could hit it you. closer than you. <laughs> Damon could play. This okay. was, this was a, you know, he was a fully grown man. You know, the few times I played with him, man, this guy, he hits it like nobody I'd ever seen. That's you know, a, that's but incredible. it was again, it was a wake up call. You better get in the, get in the books, figure something out, get yeah. in the dirt, like Hogan said. You got to figure this out. This is what you want to do. Yeah, it's another level. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So okay, then how long were you mini tour before? Okay, you... so so uh, again, I was. Two and a half, three years, not quite four, but then I break my wrist. Okay, so now I've missed that Q school. I got to get a job. I've got a little one on the way. Okay, I got to get that a job. That changes a lot of things yeah, yeah. in your life. Yeah, I got to get a job. Here's what I was a good enough player that I could make enough money to keep the dream going, but not so much that because it takes a lot. As much as those guys travel and stuff like that, it's, it's not a cheap endeavor. But I kept enough, so I, so I was. I kept saying, "This is a success. I'm successful because keeping a roof over my head and food okay. aren't, you know." But now I broke my wrist. Okay, so I'm going to come back. I need a place to play or practice. And my accountant went to school with um, a guy uh, named Bill Sellers, who was head professional at the Country Club of Orlando. And my accountant says, "You go over and play with Bill. If he gives you the thumbs up, maybe we can put some sponsorship guys together for you, and uh, we'll see." How we go from there? Okay, so literally, I get the cast off, and I call the guy. He says, "Yeah, come on over, play in our Friday group with us on Friday, and we'll play." I said, okay, so um, he said, "Well, I first went over there on a Wednesday, and uh, introduced myself." And he said, "Come back on Friday, and let's play." Okay, great. And so I go over on Friday, and dude, this guy to this day is the best ball striker I have ever seen wow lefty uh-huh okay so he had some issues with the putter okay <laughs> all right but we all got issues somewhere i will tell you dude greg norman at this time this was 1994 greg norman was the undisputed number one player in the world oh yeah 
I would take every dollar I have in my checking account, and at this time, I would have bet seller shot for shot with Norman. You call the shot, you know, take away the putter. But nope. every other club in the bag, high draw, low cut, you call it. He got it. He never missed the center of the face. It was crazy, you know. This guy hit it, you know. He, I mean, why aren't you playing, you know? Yeah. Now, this time, now, he's about 15 years older than me, so he'd had his go at it, but uh, this guy was great, you know. How many great ball strikers are there that are, let's say, as good or even better than the high-level pros are out there that we've never heard of? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah, it, it comes down to the putter. I mean, those guys on tour, they all hit it so well that, I mean, it, every week it's a putting contest. You know, that's the truth of the matter. And I tell people this, I tell the kids this that I work with. Okay. You, you take the worst putter on tour, the worst guy out there, you bring him to White Columns, he's the best putter here by about 20. That would be Billy Mayfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, I mean, by about 20. That's how right. good those guys roll it. They're just not good putters compared to the other guys they're playing with. The Tigers, the yeah. Jack, those guys. Yeah. So putting is the ultimate like factor to determine whether or not you're going to make a living or you're going to do something else. So when I was coming up, when I was playing full time, we used to have a saying that that if you it's the two thirds rule, sixty seven percent. If you could hit sixty seven percent of your fairways, sixty seven percent of your greens, and get up and down sixty seven percent of the time with the greens you missed, you could play on tour. Well, those numbers now with the, Everything's better. Instruction, okay. equipment, everything. So now I would say it would have to be 75% of those, you know, of those. If you can do those three things, then you're good enough to play on tour. They'll tell you that. Interesting. 75% fairways, 75% of greens, and up and down 75% of the time. Yep. yep. That's okay. That's solid. Yeah, if you can do you that. You got to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so okay. when, when the kids talk to me about how good – they need to be what I tell them. And, and I got this from a mid eighties article reading it. Lee Trevino says, you want to see how good your, your player is? Yeah. You go five days in a row to five different golf courses. And if he can post under par all five days, then you got a legit. Yeah. That you've never played before. Right. Yeah. I've heard that from Lee Trevino. And so every time I show up at a new course, I'm like, all right, this is the litmus test. Yeah. 74. Never side unseen. (laughs) 76, 78. You know, yeah, it's hard. That's right. It's challenging. That's yeah. He, he knew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's for sure. Okay. So then after that you go into teaching. Okay. So I start at the country club of Orlando. And so, okay. So I go to play with Bill after the round. He says, you know, typical uh, club, you're always looking for card attendance. He says, he goes, Hey, listen, you know, uh, I know you probably need, need a job to, you know, while you're getting over, while you're healing. He said, you want to work? So yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, Okay, so this was a Friday. Uh, he, I go home. He said, "Okay, come back on Sunday afternoon. Can you can you work one to close on Sunday?" I said, "Yeah, you know, yeah, I can work." He said, "Okay, I'll see you at one o'clock." I get home. Thirty minutes later, he calls me. He says, "Hey, can you be here at twelve o'clock tomorrow? Could you work tomorrow?" "Yeah, I'm gonna work tomorrow." Okay, okay. you know. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, he calls me back. Say, "Listen, can you come over and pick the range tonight? We've we've had a guy call out. Can you can you come?" "Okay, yeah." So literally. That night I'm picking the range and and it started out as just a three, two to three or four day a week thing, but literally within six weeks, I'm now going forty hours a week. Cause I just so loved it. I, 
you're picking the range, working the cart, just yep. doing all kind of the entry level yep. golf course kind yep. of stuff. Because it gave me a place to play or practice. That's okay. what, that's and what you, a lot of got the, it. the mini tour guys struggle with down there is because clubs aren't really opening their doors. They just don't want some some stiff me coming off the street. He's you banging know. balls all day. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it gave me an avenue to, to play and practice. But what I found is, is the more I was there. Okay, so now I had a member. I went out and played one of my first rounds with with their Friday group, and I shot sixty seven. Well, I had one of their members ask me, "Hey, can you give me a lesson tomorrow?" You know, and I said, "Well, I don't know. I got to ask Bill." Okay. So I went and asked Sellers. You know, yeah. and he says, "Yeah, I don't care. Go ahead." So the next day, I give the guy a lesson, and. Um, I'd never really thought about it, but in watching this guy get what we were working on, it's pretty simple fix, but get hit all of a sudden, I found that pretty quickly, I got more enjoyment out of watching other people hit better shots than I do my own. You know, it's yeah. almost like you're, if, if you're a certain level as a player, you expect to hit a certain level of shot. And so mm. when you hit it, you don't really get any enjoyment. It is what, that's what it's supposed to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. That's what you work so hard right, for. Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't get as much enjoyment out of hitting good shots or making birdie as I got angry of hitting bad shots mm. and making bogey. But I found that I really liked watching other people improve. And now, now I've got a little one on the way. And, and what I found is, man, all of a sudden I started teaching more and more, pick up another guy here, another guy there. And all of a sudden it starts to, to, to steamroll a little bit. And Sellers pulls me aside one day and says, listen, if you're going to be giving these lessons, we probably need to get you started in the PGA program. You know? ah. And so – it's between the little one coming, and I, I had never really liked to travel. A it's lot. a grind, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and especially so, on the mini tours. And, and between not liking the travel, Gunner being born, I wanted to be there to see him every day, and giving more and more lessons. That's how I kind of got started in it. Gotcha. All right. So, what from your time? So you've been giving lessons twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty seven. Twenty seven years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yep. I'm sure you, you probably, you've seen everything in the lesson world. Yeah. Yeah. So I, again, just to show you, you know, you, there's a, there's a, everybody I think has a, as a path that's pre-designed for them. We don't know it, but you, so you meet certain people along the way. So when I was an assistant there, I met a guy by the name Pat Linsky, who's now a PJ professional out of Chicago. Okay. He was working during the winters at Lake Nona. Yeah. Okay. So on Mondays I could go over to Lake Nona and practice, they were closed, but they opened it up for the employees, and an employee could bring a guest. So it allowed me to go to Lake Nona and practice and play all day on a Monday, which, at this time, Ledbetter's working out of Nona. Okay. And he's working with Faldo, Price, and Norman. So this is late 19, 80s? This is not early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah, 1994, yeah, 93, okay. 94, somewhere 95, somewhere around there. And so on a Monday... You know, I'd get there at 8 o'clock in the morning because I'm taking advantage of this premier facility. You For know. sure. And there'd be Ledbetter giving a lesson with, and there's Nick Price, who Norman was my guy. That you know, yeah. But watching somebody hit a golf ball, Nick Price, it just mesmerized me how he never missed the center of the face. And so I could sit there and practice and kind of hone in and listen to what Ledbetter's working with. these guys. They're, they're less than 20 feet away from me, you know. I love that. When I started golf in 1989 – the year I graduated high school, after I graduated, I would get a little stopwatch and I would uh, uh, time like these guys' swings. Nick, Nick Price being one of them, Payne Stewart, my all-time favorite, Norman. And I would just, I would say, okay, how fast is their swing? And then I would go, instead of trying to copy their swing, I would try to copy their tempo. 
yeah. and their time just to see what it was like. I'm like, dang. And I could never get the Nick Price. <laughs> I'm like, that guy was too quick. Yeah. But I would always do it. And it would kind of, I don't know, doing that, whatever, just helped me work a lot of and things so, out. And I, Okay, so it's just unbelievable. And, and I'm convinced to this day, he's one of the five nicest people on the face of the earth. Wow. He could be in a mid-swing practice session, and you could ask him a question, and he'd answer it. And so, you know, how do you get better answers? You ask better, better questions. questions. And I just happened to ask the right question. Again, he... Again, we weren't like friends or anything, and it wasn't like I was talking. But you say hello or, you know, have a nice. Just, you're just cordial, stuff like that. And I'm watching him hit balls one day, and I'm watching, and it just doesn't look like his weight's transferring very much. And, and I, I said mm. to him, Mr. Price, I said, can I ask you a question about the golf swing? He said, yeah, go ahead. I said, it just doesn't look like your weight transfers very much. How, tell me what you're thinking. He says, no, mate, the weight doesn't transfer. It stays pretty much on top of the golf ball and moves forward. And that was like a, a light bulb moment. You the know? weight transfer is the greatest myth in all of golf instruction. And I think personally one of the – it's malpractice yep. in, in terms of golf instruction because I would look at – I would hear weight transfer when I was learning, but then I would look at photos of uh, Jack Nicklaus or Arnold Palmer. I mean, yep. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it's, man, it sure looks like he's leaning forward to me. Yep. Okay, so I, I tell the kids, we don't hear this term much anymore, reverse weight shift, okay? Uh, but I've got a picture in my hitting bay of Hogan, and it's got frame-by-frame frame swings. Yeah. And I show them at the top of the swing, and I use this term for them a lot. The perfect backswing would be one picture frame less than a reverse pivot. So you're right there on top of it. Mm -hmm. One more frame takes me forward. Right. You know, and, and so that was like, wait a minute. And, and I, so then I, and I got to go back and think about this. And so then again, I could hear Ledbetter talking to him and stuff like that. And, and, and I believe that the, the three biggest things that impede golfers getting better. All right, here we go. Now we're getting into it. This is what I'm yeah, excited yeah. about. Shoulder turn. Turn. Get that big turn. Okay. You know, get that weight transferred. And stay behind. Those were three big things that I did when I was a kid. Okay, I shoulder I, turn, weight transfer, get behind yeah, the ball. 30, 35 years later, I do none of that stuff. Or I, I don't feel like I do, I should say. Okay. Yeah. So so how do you, what is it instead of those? Okay, so I, I, I've quit using the word turn because that's what people do. It, it's this, if you said, hey, Carl, hand me that bucket of balls, turn, you turn it hand it to them. And when you do, your sternum now moves over your back foot as you turn to hand it to them and all your weight's back there. Okay. And I say, now I turn and hand it to me like you would in a backswing. So now I pick up the bucket of balls and I, the balls would pour out of the bucket because yeah. it's much steeper than people think. And so I've started using the term tilt. For me, that, that, that word connects. The my, tilt. My, my shoulders don't turn. I feel like they tilt. They tilt down? Yeah. So I ask okay. them, I say, hey, listen, just, I have them watch me. Do you tell me, does my shoulders tilt? Do they turn or do they do both? And the answer is they do both. Yeah. But for me, I have to think of the shoulders tilting. So now they're just turning on the same angle that my spine is. And what you find when you do that, now your weight stays more centered over the golf ball and just but, rotates or turns and tilts around. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 and so, but people are so starved to get better, you know, between Golf Digest, Golf Channel, their buddies, all this stuff, and they're, it's all the same stuff. People are doing, unfortunately, they're doing exactly what they're told. They're making a big shoulder turn. They're making a big weight transfer. But if we understand how fast the downswing happens, okay, so I'm an even 200 pounds. If I got all my weight on my back foot, okay, 
how fast can I move 200 pounds back the other way? Not, mm. not. So in, in our not, teaching, yeah. like, not our, very fast. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's heavy. It, it happens really fast. So people can't get back to the golf ball. So they stay behind it. Wherever our sternum is at is where the club is going to bottom out at. It, it just is. That's the bottom of the arc. And so if my sternum's behind the golf ball, what am I going to do? I'm going to hit it heavy or well, I'm going to come out and hit it thin. That's interesting because all it takes is quarter inch and you hit it pretty fat. You're going to miss the green more than that. You, yep. I mean, you're hitting that 150 yard shot, hundred yards, yep. maybe yep. depends on how fast you're swinging, but it doesn't take much. So if right. you come off the ball quarter inch yep. and stay there, Pe people you're in trouble. People don't understand how small the backswing movement really is. I, I, they get hypnotized by watching the club head. I think. Okay. So I am 5'11". My arm is 29 inches from shoulder to but when you put the driver in my hand, which is 45 and a half, now I make a swing. That club head travels 12 to 14, 15 feet. If I was taller and had longer arms, it would be longer. So people watch the club head and they think it's a big move to get it back there. But then I take the driver and I just show them with my arms. Is this a big move? Well, not really. Then I take my arms away and I make the turn. And my shoulder really moves less than six inches. And, and in the <laughs> scope of our world, six inches isn't a big gap. They get hypnotized by the club head, thinking that it's a big move to get back there. It's not. So we have a saying in the Bay for my juniors. Bad players move away from the target a lot, but very little towards it. Good players move very little away from the target, but a lot towards it. That makes sense? I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something I think that I know I like I took a lesson when I was 18 and I didn't go back for years because it was so discouraging and it was a lot of this stuff that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I stayed away from it. But let's say somebody, a new person comes in, new beginner golfer comes to get a lesson from you. What, what are you going to do first? Like what, where do you begin? Okay. Well, so there's a lot of reasons this game is hard. It, it just is. Okay. <laughs> But believe it or not, the, I think the two or three hardest reasons this thing, game is golf. First off, no other sport we play is the ball on the ground. If you're hitting a baseball or a softball or a tennis ball, any other ball and racket sport we've got, the ball's in the air. And second reason it's hard, the ball's not moving. So, uh, now, so now we got a ball on the ground and it's not moving. Those are two foreign things to yeah. people. Okay, because they're used to reacting to a stimulus of a ball coming at you or something like that. And so then hand-eye coordination takes over. But because that ball's not moving, okay, and here's the other. So when I, once you incline to a golf ball, again, and that club works around you, because we're turning on an incline turn, the club works up above you. Okay, in every sense of definition of the word, the club works above you. Yeah. But where's the ball at? Down there. So the club's going up, the ball's so people want to dive at it. So the first time somebody comes to me, mm. if we understand the biggest reason a golf ball goes the direction it goes is what the face is doing at impact. Okay. So if we have in directional issues, let's fix the face. Okay. Well, what has the biggest influence on what the face does? Well, it's got to be our grip because it's the only connection we have to that club. So somebody comes to me the first time I put their hands on the club, you know, I get it cor correct. And, and, you know, well, fundamentally the grip should be, yep. should be sound. Yep. Everybody's a little different, but there should be some basic principles okay. at, at And work. so then I give them a baseball bat, and I start with a, a ball on a, on a baseball hitting tee. Tee, like a tee ball. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I want them to learn that they don't have to dive at the golf ball. So they'll hit balls at waist high, 
As they get better at it, I start lowering the T. So then all they're doing is inclining, but they're making the same move till we get down and the ball's on the T at the ground. I'm teaching them not to go diving at it. Yeah, so many people just swing down at the ball because the ball is lower than them. But they, they don't realize that our arms are actually going to come down yep. during the swing. Right, because we've, we've, we've handled that when we had forward bend to incline to the golf ball. Yeah, so you don't have to add it. Right, but people, but again, because the club's going up, but the ball's down, what, what and, do people want to do? And so would you say that's the over-the-top move? Yes. The, co- the root cause of that? Yeah, I, and, and again, people not having the right sequencing in the downswing. Again, we're getting too mm. much weight back. Okay. So now we're trying to move whatever weight somebody is back through the golf ball. So the shoulders want to start the downswing, you know, so, so we get out of sequence at the top. What would you say is the correct sequencing? A lot of people ask me this, what starts the downswing? The left hip clearing. It starts before the shoulders even complete the backswing. As you go back, as you're just about the top, the left hip has already started to work back the other way. So here's the thing. Well, most people slide off the ball or they weight transfer back. So that left hip to clear actually has, if they come off, it has to go forward and then, and then turn. Yep. And then you do. And so when that happens, cause they get so much weight back. Now the spine angle leans away from the target heads working back. Where's, yeah. the, where's our sternum? Now we're behind it. We're going to hit it heavy or we're going to come out of it and hit it thin. I, I always say a lot of bad things have to happen perfectly for you to hit a good shot if you're doing all that stuff. Listen, I tell some of the men, I, sometimes, you know, you come in and you see some of these golf things, I tell them all the time, you're a way better athlete than I am. Well, what do you mean, Carl? How, how do you mean this? Well, listen, if I put myself in some of the positions you do, I couldn't hit a golf ball. I'd swing and miss every time, you know. They, they got to be encouraged by that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a, uh, it, if, if I say this, a lot. if I did nothing but teach the fundamentals, grip, stance, posture, alignment, and ball position, okay. nobody could call me a bad teacher. I'd be boring, but I sure. wouldn't be bad. So what, okay, what should people do to improve their game aside from taking lessons? Practice better. How do you, how do, you do that? Okay, so for, for, our, for my elite juniors, and, and, and we've got white columns, it's, a, it's got so many talented juniors. We, oh. got, we got six kids in the top 500 in you know, junior golf rankings, uh, which is pretty strong for one club. Yeah. On the pie chart of playing well, the better the player you, be, you become, the less ball striking plays a part in your good scores. The, the slice of the pizza gets smaller. But with that... Short game is short game takes is a way bigger influence. Okay. Course management and emotional control is... Those really determine our, our good scores. Okay, so you have this pie chart. The better you get, the less important ball striking is but the better ball striker you would be because you're a better player, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but it's less important in that pie chart. And then the biggest piece would be short game, you said? Yes. And what does that equal? Uh, because there's so much. What do I practice? What could somebody practice to improve their short game? Okay, so <clears throat> I'm convinced that 100, 150 years ago, some knucklehead you know, teaching pro wanted <laughs> to make himself sound smarter than what he is. So they start coming up with a bunch of different terms for the same thing so okay. i tell the people all the time so if we're three feet off the green i say look look up and down this range what would everybody call this shot we're hitting what's well, a chip shot chip shot but if i move back five six more feet what does it become pitch shot. a pitch shot the technique is exactly the same the only thing that's going to change is the club travels back just a little farther so so to simplify things for people i want you to understand there's one technique you know basic 
you know, technique that we, if we can master it. So I call everything a pitch because I, even a chip, I'm trying to pitch it to a spot. Correct. And are you pitching or pitching wherever you are a certain distance on the green, let it roll, or you feel, how how do you, how would you recommend people go about doing that? You have to figure out how you process information the best. Ah. Okay. So for me, I am not a spot chipper. I have to see the whole thing. So, so I'm wanting to see my ball rolling at the hole and, and, and I take the whole picture in. Some people just are better to just a spot. chipping it to a spot. So you have to figure out what works for you. So every, okay, so this is great. So everybody's obviously different. We see things, some people are more artistic, some people are more analytical, right. and some people are more whatever. You've gotta know which one you are. Right, and so people, okay, for me, in my mind when I'm hitting a putt, Bunker shot, chip, yeah, full swing. I see a speedometer of a car. You know, at my age, we had the cars where the the, the speedometer was right behind the steering wheel. It wasn't digital; it just had the little needle. Yeah. That went. yeah. And so, so I feel like every swing I take from a putt to a drive, that my through swing is the same speed as my back swing. It's not. You know, you sure. You, it, it, centrifugal force is speeding us up. But in my mind, I see myself cruising at one speed. So when people say, "Hey, Carl, how do you? What do you think about around the greens?" For me. If I'm trying to hit a 15-yard pitch shot, I'm seeing myself cruise at a certain speed back and through. The next thing somebody asks me, well, what do you think about the clock method? I say, I'm fine with it. You know, the pelts, hey, if I swing sure. my, my hands at 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock with my pitching wedge, it's going to carry a certain yards. I said, that's too technical for me, but if it works for you, I'm all for it. I like that. Speaking of technical, I mean, Bryson would be the one of the probably the most technical guys out there. Yep. I heard an interview with him, though. He got in a putting discussion with Tiger Woods, not, and he said Tiger went off the deep end in terms of technical stuff to even talking about the dimples on the golf ball. Yeah. So everybody's got a little different level of... Right, you know, and so it's how you learn, how you process information the best. But again, because this game lends itself to analyzation, if, if you take in a four-hour round of golf how much you actually play the game... So from the time we address the golf ball until we pull the trigger in a four-hour round of golf, you actually play the game less than five minutes. So you got three hours and 55 minutes to think, to analyze, to overanalyze. To drink. Everybody's drinking. Yeah, the most important stuff. (laughs) So, okay, for the the amateur mid-high handicap wants to get better. I mean, you could – I always say anybody could be a scratch golfer. It doesn't take that much. Okay, so so what I would say when I – my ladies clinics and the ladies are great because more than the men, they really truly want to improve. The men, hmm. want, the men want to play like a six handicap, but have their handicap as a 10. So, <laughs> you know, but the ladies truly want to be better. <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah. And so what I would say is, so in a lot of my ladies clinics, we do nothing but hit pitches, chips and putts. Cause, and, and I know they get bored sometimes, but I explain to them, listen, if we can get really good in this area below our waist, hitting these shots, coming into impact zone, getting solid contact. Yeah. If you can get really good in that area, the top half is just about conquered, you know. So we really work hard on getting the right technique, get coming in impact with a, you know a, the the hands in the correct position, you know, left wrist bowed, leading in, get that downward action, and and if we can get solid contact, the top half of the swing's pretty easy. So whatever we're doing, our practice should be this swing the most. Because 
every swing that we take, even with our putter, is about yeah. at least this far. Yeah. And if we work on that 75% of our practice time. If we can get really good through impact zone. So Mike Malaska, really great, you know, top, top 15, 20 teacher in America. He has, in the last few years, he's gone the other way. Hey, I'm going to get somebody's through swing really, really good. And if I can do that, the back swing is going to take care of itself. He said, and, and, and so I, I, ours is the only sport people are more concerned with what's happening away from the target mm. than toward it. And so Mike like Malaskas, he, he's, he's reverse engineering it. I'm going to get our, our, our impact position and our follow through really good. If we do that, then a lot of this stuff back here doesn't matter. Yeah, my kids, when they were four, three years old, hit, starting to swing little plastic clubs and stuff. The first, all I would do, do whatever you want, but you're going to finish on your toe and you're going to look like this in your finished position. Yep. And they became, you know, they, they competed in junior world championships, yep. all of them grown up. So they're pretty good. But even to this day, they barely play, but they go out. My son will bomb it and crush it 300 some 40 yards. But his finish is perfectly balanced. He's on his toe. It's all, and we don't care what happens the rest so, of it. So I do a little demonstration when I got somebody in there. When we're working on those positions, I say, just take this golf ball. And at about 30, 40 yards outside of my bay door there, we've got a little chipping green. I said, hey, we're going to throw this ball to that target. Let's see if we can get closer. I'll go first. I said, but after you throw it, you hold your position. So I'll throw it, and I said, go ahead. So they'll throw it, and I'll say, freeze. As they're, I said, now, where's all your weight at? It's on your front side. Yeah. You know, you've, you've pushed everything towards the target. Now, here's this. When you put the golf ball in your hand, did you think, what's my elbow doing? Am I releasing in the right spot? No, you're just looking at your target. You just throw it. And, and throw it to it. I said, that's the mindset we got to have when we're playing. We're just finding our target and moving toward it, not worried about what's happening behind it. Forget all that. We get so technical about all the little pieces of where's this or where's that, yeah. but – you go to uh, football practice growing up, you're high-stepping through the tire or the bungee cord, you're running wind sprints, you're, you learn how to block a certain way, but nobody's like really nitpicking on like, is your left foot in front of your right foot? Or they're just... the, the more motion a sport takes, the better athlete is gonna show his skill set. You know, you, in a, hmm. in a, on a field full of really, really great athletes, Bo Jackson stood out, or you know, yeah, you, you choose any any of them, okay? Uh huh. Because our ball's not moving, it levels the playing field, you know. And mm. so, when we're talking about playing well, I don't think people practice like they should, you know. Okay. So, so when I have my juniors in there, we have a block of time that 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 this is technical skill work. We're working positions. We're getting our club face here. Mm. We're getting doing this stuff right here. Then we have a block of time where we scrimmage. Ours is the only sport people don't practice like they do every other sport. When you go to a football practice, yeah, you go for 15 or 20 minutes with your position group. Mm -hmm. You work on technical skills. Then coach blows the whistle. What do you do? You go over. We start scrimmaging. So so a lot of our practice sessions with the juniors, okay, so we've got a tournament coming up, and we'll bring up their course on computer. You know, okay, so first holes, 360 yards, par four. We got to dog leg left, and we got – water on the right so we're going to try and turn this ball right to left so let's go through your pre-shot routine and you hit me a draw okay okay we think we hit that one pretty good so that probably leaves us a wedge in get your wedge out you know and let's hit a wedge so we practice like we're playing whereas i think most people just come out and start banging balls and they're going through their mind with all the stuff they've read in golf digest that week or, mm -hmm. or what they're 
buddy Johnny told them the other day, and they'll hit two or three good shots with that. Hey, I think I've got it. Then as soon as you hit two bad shots, they, revert, they go to the next thing in their list. So, so uh, I tell the kids all the time, as you watch them, they're not practicing, they're exercising. And there's a difference. Yeah. I mean, exercise is okay, but if you want to get better at something, right. you need to practice. Right. And, I, and even like if I'm bored at the range, I just, I, I get away, yes. I leave or I'll go on course if I can, or I will do something. I'll mimic a playing around a golf while I'm at the range, yep. hit a driver I, and I'll just have a visual course. I'll have a course and I'll visualize it in my mind. Yeah, and I feel bad for the people. I, I really do because they so badly want to get better, yeah. you know, and, and it's such, it's just such a hard sport. And when you keep going through the laundry list of things. Of, of things your buddies have told you or golf digest and stuff like that. And I just feel so bad for them because they want to get better people. Nobody wants to do anything and be not so good at, it. you know, they want to get better. Yeah. You know, I just think they go about it a lot of the times the, the wrong way. Right. They just don't have, there's no real plan when right. you go to practice. Like, what am I doing? If you don't have a plan, you would never, you, you would expect your football coach, your wrestling coach, your whatever coach, he has an agenda for the day. You go in school, the teacher has an outline that they're going to do for that day. You are kind of your own instructor 99.9% .9 of the time. You go and you have no plan. You have no lesson plan. Yeah, and so I say this all the time when I get somebody in the bay because we do a lot of dry swings and stuff in front of them. If people used a mirror like they should, they wouldn't need me because I – most hmm. of the time when somebody comes into my lesson bay for the first get time, a mirror, you know, how much is a mirror? <laughs> the big one I got, there's probably <laughs> a few hundred dollars, but, um, that's one lesson. Yeah, yeah. What I say to them is, is there's a reason those professional dancers rehearse in front of that big mirror. They're not egotistical and, and, and want to see what they want to see what their motion looks like in real time because people, you can't see what you're doing. People, what people think they're doing and what they're really doing are normally miles apart, but the mirror doesn't lie. It'll let you know. You know, and so when somebody comes into the bay the first time and after, a, hey, what brings you in? What, what are you looking to accomplish? What can I help you with? They all say, hey, within the first sentence or the first, you know, paragraph, for sure, hey, I want to get more consistent. Well, how can I be consistent if I don't do some things consistently? And that's it. what the mirror allows us to do. And so we can get better because I spend most of my time not teaching the good stuff, cutting away people's bad to get to their good. That's most of a lesson is just yeah. let's get rid of the stuff you do bad. We're just going to eliminate stuff. Yeah. Most people do way too yeah. much. All right. I've got a bunch of questions people sent in today that I'm going to um, put you on the hot seat. All right. Question one, what is better for an AM, a flat or an upright swing? Depends on your body shape. It's you can't. You know, I can't tell you unless we see what you're doing. I can't, I can't teach everybody the same. I can't teach a eight-year-old girl like I do a 40-year-old man because everybody's body shape and stuff like that, length of your arms, how you know tall are you, all that stuff plays into. You There's know, no one answer yeah, for yeah. that one. Okay. So what I would say is try and get on plane. And so when you look in a mirror, when you get this position right here, if your lead arm is, is kind of on the same angle as that your shoulders are on. Yeah. You know. Try to get there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like it. Hogan was flat. Nelson was upright. They're both great. There you, know? you go. And they're both about that. Well, Nelson might be a little taller. But Nelson was like 6'2". He was tall. Yeah, Hogan was 5'8". So, again, it... Yeah. All right. Uh, we already talked about the best way to improve your game, short game practice, or that impact zone. The old standard answer. But but it's boring. Listen, I, I told the kid that just yesterday. I know what... 
it sucks. Putting, your back gets to hurt and yeah. stuff like that. And it's boring. Everybody wants to see that ball fly up against that blue sky when you hit a driver. But it's being able to be really, really good at the little stuff is what determines our score. So, yeah, you got to spend time on that putting green. You got to understand people have trouble reading a break or reading the greens. Yeah. Well, they never spend any time on the practice green. That's right. Now, and Mitch, don't just roll it, right? Read it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mitch Cook, our, our putting specialist at, at, at White Columns, he'll flat out tell you putting's the hardest part of the game between reading the greens, you know, the grain, if, you, if, it's, if you're on Bermuda greens and stuff like that, you know. And um, I don't argue with that. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. But, it, but you learn so much just from experience of just getting out there. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, I guess you'll, you'd be surprised at what – if you put on different surfaces, which ones you, sometimes I, I can read like Poana. I mean, I grew up on that. I can read those, but there's lots of discoloration that I can aim at. So there's a lot of, whereas like a, a perfect bent grass, I'm like, I, I, I don't know where to aim. Yeah. Well, and another <laughs> thing, so, so we go back to, I, I think people, they don't have the confidence in themselves to trust their read, you know? Mm. So, so that, that's a big part of it. People, People are way better than they give themselves credit for. But the biggest thing I see among amateurs is, especially, okay, you show me what, what your read is. Where do you want this ball to start? And 90% of them, because it's, a, it's an optics issue, their, their putter is not lined where they think they are. That's true. I used this stand-up putter, did a review on it, and I, I like the concept of it. And I'm like, man, I'm aiming left. Well, and then, so I would put the line on the ball, line that where, and that, I mean, I'm a good green reader, so I usually put that in the right spot. And then I, I would line up over top of the ball with the stand-up putter, and it looked fine. I'd just line on line, and then I'd walk behind it, and I'm like, good night. I'm still aiming left. And so then I would fix the putter from behind and aim it where that line was. Then I'd go over top, and it would look different. The okay. putter looked pretty open. But that's normal. So, again, going back to that time at, at Nona, early 90s, Faldo's working with a guy by the name of Richard Farnsworth, obstetrician. And he's got um, a theory that every human on the face of the earth falls into one of two categories. You see the target short and right of where it truly is in reality okay. or long left. And so, hmm. which, okay, now I get to thinking about it. Man, all my putts and chips, if we did a dispersion chart, man, I come up way short a lot you know okay so then when they started putting the line on the golf ball when that kind of became a thing in the mid to late early 2000s should be illegal in my opinion okay so <laughs> but i do it yeah so i would line it up where i would start and because it's an it's, it's an eye issue i get over it and to this day i feel like i'm lined two feet left you know <laughs> and so I, i'm not kidding you in yeah. my own mind i'm saying trust it Trust it because I want to change. And what I tell people all the time is there's not a player in the history of the game that hasn't battled with alignment issues because unlike shooting a gun or a bow and arrow where you're looking right down the barrel, we're off to the side. So we've got another angle here. And so when I put that line down, man, it, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I feel the same way. And now I, I went back to my normal putter and I just opened that face, you know, to match what the stand-up putter showed me was correct. And I, I – Putting some of my best putts these days. All right. Should a left-handed player seek lessons from a left-handed coach? No. No, it doesn't matter. A swing is a swing is a swing. Again, let's get you on plane. Let's get your face square at impact. That doesn't matter. But what I will say, my experience, 
left-handers have set up issues. They tend to have way, way too much till, and their shoulders tend to get open. And I've never been able to figure out why. That's but it's a consistent issue is their setups are the way they look at the golf ball is different. And so they get set up in some pretty funny hmm. positions that, that we have to work hard to get out of. But no, as far as the mechanics of the golf swing, it's the same. Same. Okay. What's an uh, efficient and effective pre-round routine for a weekend hacker? Okay. So again, you, you obviously Good want question. To, yeah. You want to get there enough time to loosen yourself up. But I would say, you know, we start with some easy wedges. To, to, I like to start every day I'm at a course, I go to the bunker the first thing. Because, Ooh, so I'm, I'm, I'm my loosen- kind of guy right there. I'm loosening up. Okay. okay. But to be a good bunker player, you have to have good rhythm. So it sets the rhythm of the day for me, you know. So, so I'll start hitting bunker shots, and then I'll go up to the range, some wedge shots, and work my way through the bag. And, and then I finish my range session. In my mind, I play the first three holes. Okay, so at white columns, I hit driver off the first tee. Okay. I'm going to hit a driver. I know where it's at down there. Okay, I figure I got eight or nine iron in. Let me pull them out my ear and let me hit that shot. And if I hit a bad shot, I just pull another one out because I want that proper visual. You want to have a good yep. shot in, yeah, so at the I, range. I, I try and play the first two or three holes, you know, in my mind. So mm-hmm. I just kind of scrimmage and then you go over and roll some putts and stuff like that. I love that. And I love going in the bunker first too. And you said something that is important. It sets up your rhythm for the day. And I think that people forget that. They think, oh, just hit balls at the range. No, because you, you're exposed in the bunker with poor rhythm. Yep. Too quick, you're, you're doomed. Okay. Oh, here, interesting. What putter grips do you suggest? Um, I only feel comfortable with a baseball grip. That's okay. So I guess how how do you grip the putter? What's your okay? So it's so individual. I never if if you that's fine. If you want to overlap, reverse overlap like the majority of players do, that's fine. If you want a ten finger cross handed, it's all good. I have no preference when it comes to that. As long as we're keeping that club arcing like we want to arc it, and okay. that face is coming in, and we're getting the ball rolling on our start lines where we want to. You know, I like that. I just did a video on putting grip. I, I'm like whatever you do. But I just said, keep it on the front pad of your hands. Yeah, so Versus. A, guy, a guy who I really love to watch putt is John Rahm. So when you oh, see yeah. him set up, his left hand is really weak, his right hand is really strong, and man, all he does is just work his. So, so and that putter comes up between the two pads, yeah. you know, but it's really a good stroke to, to watch. He's, yeah, he's one of the hottest putters yeah. out there right now. Uh, best range drill for a simple, powerful golf swing. Well, I would say put um, head cover on the outside of the golf ball and a head cover on the on the inside, and work on sh- being shallow coming through the golf ball, hitting it, getting that little draw action to it. Okay. Yeah. Very simple. You just put two head covers down, wide enough for the club to get through. But if you're off plane, if I'm coming over it, I'll hit the outside head cover. If I'm coming too shallow. I'll hit the inside hit cover. Okay. So you want to be as shallow as possible without getting too shallow. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I get so shallow that my head is working away from the target, I'm back here. Yeah. Then, then I'm going to drop kick it and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. What's the best winter drill to do uh, in a garage or your house? Just dry swings in front of a mirror. And what I tell people all the time, trust yourself. If something looks out of place, fix it. 
because you're probably right. You don't need me to tell you. People have the right images in their head. What they're doing and what they think they're doing are miles apart, but the mirror doesn't lie. So I would say take a lot of dry swings in the mirror, and if a position looks out of place, fix it. Fix it. Video. I say, just get your phone. Do the dry swing with the video, and compare that to the pro, a pro or somebody you like. That's not necessarily copy, but to say, oh, I'm out of position here. Just trying to live that. All right. Um, we'll get a couple more. Uh, okay. Tips for the days where you just can't get off the tee. You're out, you're struggling out there. What do you do on course? You're playing. And you can't get off the tee box. You you keep going down in your bag until you find a club that you can hit in the fairway. So this is what was great about Nicholas. He had the discipline to say, hey. People won't do that. <laughs> people, he had the discipline to say, hey, listen, I'm driving it badly today. I'm going to my three, metal, three wood back in this day. Okay? Yeah, three you know, wood. And if I'm not hitting the fairway with that three wood, I'm going down. Here's what I would tell you. The, the, the better the player you are, the higher your handicap is, the more you get big numbers from within 40 yards of the green. When I have a big number on a hole, it's because I've driven one off the face of the earth. I've hit it out of bounds, hit it into a hazard, yeah. or something like that. I'm not going to take six strokes from 40 yards. You know? No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I, never hit my putter out of bounds. Right. Okay. But, <laughs> but that's where my big numbers would, will come from. Okay. And so for me, the most important thing is to get the ball in play off the tee. And if that means I've got to go down and hit my hybrid, you know, okay, so I come to a long par four, man, I'm struggling though. I hit hybrid off. If I've still got 230 in, that's okay. I can knock it down in front of the green and bogey will probably be the la the worst score I'm going to make, but I got a good chance to make par. You do. And if you do the practice that we talked about earlier, your short game is going to be pretty tight. Yeah. So just get it around yeah. the green. That takes so much pressure off of your full swing. Okay. And I'll tell you another thing that I really work hard on the juniors with, and I think this is a, a mindset. Every swing I take, every shot I hit, I'm just trying to hit an okay shot. I, I, I grade out the swings and the shots, A, B, C, D, or F. And so what I'm telling the kids, yeah. it, for me, it was a huge relief, pressure relief valve to say, hey, you know, when we're setting ourselves up to try and make an A swing and hit an A shot, when we don't hit it, Man, our, we just melt down. But for me, hey, I'm just going to try and put an okay swing on it and hit an okay shot. Because what I realized, hey, my okays are, are actually pretty good. You know, I just don't want any D minus or F swings because that's what's really going to affect my score. Yeah. Yeah, I was playing a big, and I was playing this huge par four the other day out at Atlanta National. Last hole. Huge. And whatever, I had two something in my second shot. And that's just a crazy hole. Tough hole. And I was just like, hey, don't aim at that back right flat. Just aim, aim far, like put it on the biggest part of that green. And just, that's your spot. Hit, best shot I've hit in like two weeks. Put it on. Okay, I had a 50-foot putt. But I'd rather have that 50-foot putt than being down 25 feet below the green in this, you know, yes. suicide bunker. You know, Palmer told Nicholas this in the early 50s. A bad putt is better than a good chip. Yeah. And what he meant by that is, is that if I had a putt from 40 feet and I leave it four feet short, Nobody says anything, but if I hit a chip to four feet from that same distance, what's everybody say? Wow. Good shot. Yeah. Yeah. And so the point being, the quicker we can get that putter in our hand, the better. Right. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, just put the pressure. I say, put the pressure on your putter. Yeah, and I just think, I think too many amateurs at, at every level are trying to make too many perfect swings. I'm just trying to be okay. Just be okay. That's good. All right. Last question. 
training aids. Are there any training aids that you are, that you recommend? Yeah, I'm a big, cause it, cause it expediates somebody's learning curve. Uh, you know, mm. um, the tour striker, uh, I'm a big fan of but that's that little headed, that, that club with that, that you have to shaft lean it to hit. Is that the one? No, no, it's, it's the, the, the plexiglass plate that lays on the ground and you put the two cones oh, up yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so I can work swing path and, okay. uh, down that little thing. It's got the foam yeah. little things that come yeah. like, gotcha. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that impact bags. It, oh yeah. It, it's such a good thing because if you do it correctly and you thump that bag, right. It puts you in perfect impact position. And most people don't know what that position feels like. If I don't know what it feels like, how can I get there? How do I know what I'm looking for? And so nobody uses that thing. Well, no amateur that I know of really has one that they use. It's huge. I mean, what does that thing cost? 40 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's not expensive at all. And and like I said, it makes such a, when all you're trying to do is thump that bag, You'd be surprised how, how good golf swings really get. Which gets, yeah, that gets your shaft lean, your fort, your hand. Yep. Like that gets impact position is, if you want to hit pure listen, wedges. Listen, so I'm a nerd about this stuff. I, I've studied golf swings. And again, if we break it down, the only thing all good players have in common is one position. Impact. And that's through impact. So why aren't the rest of us just Hello. focusing on trying to get to that position? Impact position, just get there. Yep. You know, I could talk like this for like hours so we're gonna have to have you back again (laughs) to 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 get deeper into this because it's i mean it's good i think so many people need to hear over and over and over like it's not that complicated you're better than you think you are work on this little stuff and you'll greatly improve your game be good at the stuff we can control set up alignment posture and grip a lot of that other stuff disappears when you're good at those four or five things Mm, i love it carl Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to get deeper into this next time. Thanks. I appreciate the invite. All right. Love you guys. See you in the next, uh, next podcast.